There's a culture in every church, and there's a culture in every organization. And that culture is probably more important than anything else. And the culture permeated, permeated with the presence of God is established by values. And starting this morning, we're going to be looking at the values that shape the culture here at City Church. It's uh, not an accident that there's a culture in any organization, especially in a church. It's established by values. In other words, what do you hold valuable? Everybody can say, well, it's God. Of course, that's a given. That goes without saying if you're a church, well, God is number one. But what are the values that God would instill that would create a culture in a, in a particular place or a particular space? Each of us carries culture with us. We have cultures in our homes. There's cultures in, at your workplace. Each of us carries a culture within us. And when we walk into a room, uh, that room gets, if you will, permeated or, or uh, I don't want to use the word infected. It's kind of a negative connotation, but you infect the room with, with who you are. Uh, you can bring a dark cloud into a place or you can brighten up the place, which is yours, which is your choice. And because God is light, he calls us to be the light, not, not the darkness, but the light. When we go into a room, a, pres a place where they need something. And I've been in some pretty dark rooms. I've traveled the world, ministered, preached in many different places. Um, I came out of incredible darkness in the city of Detroit. Wasn't born in a Christian family. Uh, Profanity was my second language, probably my first language, to be quite honest. Fighting and hatred and everything else. Uh, but God changed something when I became born again. When I gave my heart to the Lord, I really did become born again. And uh, I believe that when, when, when you give your heart to God, if something doesn't change, you've got to go back and ask the question, why? Why am I still the same person? On the outside, of course, you look the same, everything's the same. But on the inside, something has to give. And I, I encourage you to give it to God. One of our values that we're going to look at this morning is we always have room for more. There's always room for more. Have you ever missed out on something only just? I hate it when <laughs> I'm in a hurry to go someplace. The traffic light is green. Maybe there's a green arrow. And I'm thinking, come on, come on, like just move it along. There's a few cars in front. You think, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. Bam, yellow, red, real quick. It's never like yellow, linger, it's okay, you can go through. It's like, no, green, yellow, red, stop. And there's a camera there, so if you don't, if you don't make it, you're going to pay. I don't know what the fine is. Uh, well, I actually do because I have been fined. It's like a lot of money. Uh, if you don't make it and you go through a red light, a red arrow, you get the ticket. You're thinking, oh, you know, if you don't make it. Uh, anyway, if you're like me, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to come in the mail. I go out, check the mailbox. Oh, God, it's not there. Thank goodness for that. You know, bam, bam, bam. And then bam. Here it is, a letter from the government. How exciting. Whenever you get a letter from the government, how many people know it's usually not a good thing? 
And, and you open it up, and there it is. A picture of you driving your car with your license number. Not going to get away from that. And there it is. And you went through. Missed it by a one. I hate it when I miss out on something. My wife is an expert at car parks. I'm not. Uh, all the men in this place should be amen. And most of us hate, we hate going to the shopping mall. Why? Can't get a car park. If I don't find it instantly, pretty well, first pass, I don't want to be there. I'll leave. I'll just walk. I'll do something else with my time. It's like, no, no, just go around there. There's a car park up there. And uh, she has favor with that. But don't you hate it when you see a car park and you know, if I would just go the wrong way, you know, the arrow's going one way. If I would just go right instead of straight, which is legal, or left, if I would just go to the right, then I can get that car park. I can see the car park, but there's another car circling, and they're doing the same thing. They're looking for that car park. And then you do the legal thing. You drive around, but they're right in front of you. You just know they're going to get that car park and miss out by one. It's an awful feeling. Well, with God, there's no shortage of anything. Have you not looked up into the sky at night? Have you not looked and walked on the seashores and seen all the grains of sand? Have you not looked out into the vast ocean? Have you not looked at the abundance of God? You can see that God isn't the God of just enough you're going to miss out. He's the God of more than enough. In fact, one of his Hebrew names, El Shaddai, was one of the seven covenant names that he was known for. It means this. It means the all-sufficient one. Not the almost or the insufficient one. The all-sufficient one. The God who is more than enough. Whenever there was a shortage of anything and Jesus showed up, the shortage disappeared. Oh, they don't have enough wine at the wedding. They're all out. Not a problem. Bring the water. Bam. More than enough. Oh, there's only just a few loaves and some fishes. We got thousands of people to feed here. What are we going to do, Jesus? Not a problem. El Shaddai. More than enough. Basketfuls left over. When it comes to abundance, God is the God of abundance. Now, we could camp there, we could preach about something else, but I'm talking about the values that shape City Church. There's always room for more. We always have room for more. The question is, more of what? And this morning, I, I don't want to talk about just more money, more houses, a bigger physical building, or whatever, whatever. The biggest more is there's always more room for people. Because God's passion, and that's one of our values as well, is his passion is our passion. So ask yourself, well, what is he passionate about? He's not that much passion. There's not a lot of passion in God for the stars or the sand on the seashore. What he went to the cross for was people. He died for yours truly, wretched man. He died for you, even if you're goody two-shoes. Uh, you're not that good. Not compared to God. You're not good at all. He died for you. That's, that's the passion of the cross. The passion of the cross is people. He had you on his mind when he went to the cross. How good is that? How passionate is our God? 
So the question is, we have room for more. More what? It's people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, and that's you in this room right now, you're a whosoever. Whether you were born on the right side, the left side of the tracks, the best side had a great upbringing or not so great an upbringing like myself or whatever, whatever your history is, God is called he comes into your world to rewrite your history. So I want to look at something this morning. And um, there's a great scripture, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And it's something that this woman from Shunem, a place called Shunem, that this woman and her husband uh, that are getting on, they don't have any children. And the prophet Elisha comes through town. And so we'll pick that up. I want to talk about Making room for more. Making room for more. There's always room for more people. In 2 Kings 4, verse 8, one day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. And after that, Whenever he passed by that way, he would stop there for something to eat. That was the prophet's motive, food. I think back when I first gave my heart to the Lord, I uh, was still a pretty confused young man. <laughs> um, still doing drugs, still getting drunk, still partying, doing all the kind of normal stuff that you do, a lot of people do. And I ended up in a hotel in the middle of the city of San Diego. It was a bad part of town. Uh, we had knifings and lots of deals going down. I moved from Detroit, which is a nasty city in some parts, uh, not all parts. If you're watching from the Motor City, it's a great city. But some parts, you know, you don't even walk there. You don't walk through there in the middle of the day and walk out alive. <laughs> you won't walk out alive. And so I, I uh, wanted to get rid of my past and shake all the habits that I had, which were killing me. And seriously, I knew I wasn't going to live long if, uh, if I stayed on the path that I was on. Uh, I didn't feel that I was destined to have a long, fruitful life. And so I took my little Ford Mustang, 66, and uh, drove it across America. <laughs> had that many miles on it that the, the engine was so loose that I had to throw 50-weight uh, Valvoline racing oil, high viscosity to tighten the engine up just to get over the mountains. And I ended up going through Death Valley. And I remember listening to Hotel California just come out on an eight track. Anybody remember those? You're old if you do. Yeah, welcome to the Hotel California. You know? And, uh, and I got out of the car and I'm thinking, man, like, I don't know where I'm going. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. It was a recession in Detroit at the time. I, I looked up in the sky. I saw all those, all those stars. And I was just overwhelmed. Fear just overwhelmed me. What if this car breaks down? You're in the middle of Death Valley. It's called Death Valley for a reason. Hello? It's like the lowest place on the planet. One of the hottest places, if not the hottest place on the planet in summer. And I'm right there in the middle, at, trying to get through there at night before the sun comes up. Not, not a Christian, didn't know God, wasn't raised in a Christian household. And I looked up in the overwhelming fear that gripped my soul. And I thought, I've got to press on. 
I was headed for Newport Beach in the L.A. area because somebody I knew said, oh, that's a really cool place. You know, you should go there, look for work. And I thought, oh, okay. And I stopped in at a restaurant in a place called Barstow, which is out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. And I had all my maps. This is before GPS and everything else. Had all my maps uh, spread out on the table. And I'm having a cup of coffee looking at how to get to Newport Beach. And the waitress came up. I said, where are you going? I said, oh, I think I'm going to go to Newport Beach. She goes, what are you going there for? You got a job or something? I go, no, I don't have any work. I don't. She goes, been there? You got somebody? You know anybody? This is the story of my life, by the way. And it's like, no, I don't know anybody. She goes, well, don't go there. Go to San Diego. And I'm like, why? She told me about San Diego. And, and so, you know, took the, took the map out and plotted, replotted the course. I ended up in San Diego driving around the city looking for someplace cheap to stay. Spent the first night in the car on the beach. Uh, night number two was coming up. I'm thinking, man, like if I keep driving around, I'm, I'm going to be out of fuel, out of money. And um, I went around this, this building, and it said no vacancy. And the second time around this hotel, it had changed from no vacancy to vacancy. And I just went, wow, i got to check this out. So I went in, and I met the legendary Mrs. Peterson. And you've heard me talk about Mrs. Peterson before, but a really big woman from North Carolina, her and her husband uh, managed the, this hotel in the middle of San Diego. Mrs. Peterson was bald. She was a Christian. She was really bald. Like one guy knifed somebody in the hotel. She didn't just let him run out the door and call the police. She tackled the guy. He couldn't get out the door. She had a hold of him. He's got the bloody knife and everything. And she's going out the front door of the hotel. And she sub subdued this man. Like everybody, like, call the police, you know, get on the payphone, call the police. And, and uh, Mrs. Peterson had a boldness about her. But she was so bold and passionate for the Lord. Again, I was dazed and confused. I was strung out. I was looking for something, but I didn't know what. And Mrs. Peterson did something. It was about this time of the year, and we were about to celebrate Thanksgiving in America, a big holiday, lots of food. She lived with her husband and their only daughter in a tiny room. It was a, a tiny apartment that she got as the manager. And it wouldn't have been more than maybe, um, I don't know, four meters by three meters or four meters. It was just tiny. And she cooked Thanksgiving dinner, and she invited me and then my, my friend who had moved in at the time, and then another guy named Fred. Fred was about 80-something years old. He'd served in World War I. He was on the Great White Fleet. Uh, look it up, Google it, a Admiral Dewey's Great White Fleet. A World War I veteran. There's none of them around these days. Fred got an invitation. I got an invitation. I said, oh, Mrs. Peterson... My friend Jim's rocked up. Would it be possible for him to come to things? And she'd say, of course. And, and, and basically, there's always room for one more. Always room for more. And she, she, would bring, she brought us in that Thanksgiving, and I'll never forget it because she didn't have much of a kitchen. And she cooked the best Thanksgiving dinner, like honestly, especially for somebody that's young and, and, and alone, and looking to change his wicked ways and all the rest of it. And she, and her hospitality really gripped my heart. 
And I, and I know when this woman invites the prophet in and she, and, and, and she cooks a meal for him and he comes back, every time he's passing through, it's like, I got to stop in because that was an amazing meal. Mrs. Peterson could cook. And that was her weapon of evangelism of reaching a 21-year-old and his buddy that's 21 and an 84-year-old man, Fred, who incidentally, when he passed away, I held his hand and talked to him about Jesus, gave him a chance uh, to get saved. I was actually there when he, when he died, and um, he was out in the hallway having a heart attack and still coherent. And, and a lot of things happen in that space, but one of the things that really spoke to me more than any preacher or anything else was just that ability to accommodate that, that ability that says there's, there's room for one more. There's always room for more. When God called Gail and I to pastor this church, and we did, we pioneered at the high school 35, almost 35 years ago, I really determined in my heart to take those, those things that I learned, those values that were instilled in me through people like Mrs. Peterson, to bring that into the culture of a church. It's hard fought because a lot of people don't want to make friends. A lot of people are just self-sufficient, if you will. They put walls up and all the rest of it. Uh, you run into a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they don't care about people. And God's heart breaks for that because his body must care about people. We're his instrument. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're the body of Christ in this world. If we don't care about people, if we're not willing to step out of comfort zones, walk across rooms, say hi to people, and not just be friendly, hey, but to actually be a friend. There's a big difference between those two. The value of always room for more isn't just a fleeting, this is something we're going to plaster on a wall. It has to be incorporated. It has to be a value driven into our hearts so that we can reach this wicked world and tell them the good news about Jesus. So when Gail and I started the church, we, we wanted to bring those values that we, we, we knew were core values of the Christian faith. And always room for more is all through the Bible. This, this uh, account of the Shumanite woman is just one of many, many times where somebody accommodated somebody else, gave space and made space. So let's just read on in this, and uh, then we'll draw some things out of it. So one day, Elisha went to the town, a wealthy woman there, and um, he stopped in to eat. Verse 9, she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. She must have seen him pray and heard him talk, and she discerned something about this man. Verse 10, let's build a small room for him. This is where making room for more. There's always room for more. She built a physical room, her and her husband. She said, build it on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. These are all significant. And then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. There's four things here that I want us to pay attention to that we need to make room for, four provisions, if you will. First thing is that bed. We need to make a place for people to be revived. 
I'm not talking about physical beds in this auditorium or something like that, but when I've had a hard day or a hard week or whatever it is, one of the most appealing things for me anyway is that bed. It's like, I cannot wait to get behind between those sheets. And if Gail's done the laundry and she's put fresh sheets on the bed and they're crisp and it's cool, it's like, oh man, I've had a bad day. I am so looking forward to getting into that bed and waking up the next day revived. God's house is a place of revival. God's, God's house is a space where people that have had a bad day or perhaps a bad life can come in and get revived. What, what's the, where's the best place for you to, 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 to be if you're having a really bad day? The answer is church. Church should be the place where you get revived, not the place where you get a downer, not the place where you get more beat up, you feel worse than, than before you, you know, when you get up in the morning. Church is a place of revival. And so she said to her husband, let's, let's put a bed in this room <laughs> so that this prophet who's probably had a hard day, he's a prophet, he's an Old Testament prophet, he has to get in people's face, tell them, you're going to burn. <laughs> you know, Ahab, you and Jezebel, you're in trouble. The God of righteousness, call down fire. He's a prophet. Number two, a place of refresh, refreshing, a place to be refreshed, a table. You sit at the table of God, you get refreshed. It says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. Overflowing. With blessing. I like what David said, my cup runs over. God's church, this space, this place, is a place where people can get not just revelation, but they can get refreshed from hearing the Word of God and understanding how to incorporate and feed upon the Word of God and get that into their spirit. So they walk out saying, my cup run, runneth over. Number three was a chair chair is a place for me anyway. It's a place where I can sit. I can get rest, but I can also get reflection and reflect and think. I've got my favorite chair. I don't know if you do in your house, but I've got uh, my favorite recliner chair. I'm pretty well, I'm in that getting messages, thinking, reading the Word of God, whatever it is. Uh, I wore that out. I got to get rid of it soon, but it's so anointed. I really don't want to get rid of it. I've I've put uh, plywood underneath the footrest because it kind of did that. It's leather, but it wasn't, uh, the inside of it's probably not the best. And, you know, I've wore that thing out, but it's always a place where I know I can sit, my back's comfortable, and I can get a download uh, from God and put things together. So church is a place of rest and reflection. Number four, there's a lamp in that room, and that lamp is Revelation. It's a lamp that God would, would, would turn a light on something in you when you're in this place that you would get revelation, that you would get a download from heaven. So if you walked in here confused, questions, not knowing where to go, what to do, like I was, that as you sit under the Word, not necessarily even what the preacher has to say. I've sat in meetings before, and I've gotten big revelations had nothing to do with what he was even talking about. It's just the presence of God. 
And many of you have got ideas. You've, you, you've gotten direction. You've heard the voice of God because you're in a space where you can get revelation because there's a room built uh, where there's room for you, there's room for more that has the lights turned on, the light of heaven, the glorious, beautiful glory that comes through the Spirit of God because you got oil in your lamp. Well, greater room brings greater rewards. But the prize sets the price. The prize tells you what the price is going to be. And the prize is people. Lest we uh, forget that, Ephesians 1, verse 18, listen to this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You might get this revelation. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious, this is the hope, the riches of what? His glorious inheritance in his holy people. See, the inheritance of God, the prize that we're to go after, is the saints. It's every wretched, lost person that's out there, of which all of us, no matter how good you think you were, all of us were wretched, blind, miserable, and God saved you. Don't we owe it for those that don't know Jesus? Should we not at least be passionate about that? to the point where there's always room for more. I, I, I've got to build something in my heart so that there's room for more people. If you don't have room for more people in your heart, I guess a big question to ask yourself is why? Why is your heart closed off? Why aren't you accommodating more? More space called time. More energy. Because it does take time. It takes resources. It takes energy to reach people. It takes a lot of finances and time and sacrifice and effort. Listen to Luke 16, verse 9. He gives a whole teaching on what money's for, or resources. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources. You might have a lot, like this woman and her husband were wealthy. You might have nothing. Use your worldly resources. Well, I'll take it back. Nobody has nothing. Everybody's got something. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. There's a novel thought. Then, when your possessions are gone and they are going to go, like what Denzel Washington said, I've never seen a hearse yet pulling a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> then, when your possessions are gone, whether you got billions or a hundred bucks, they will welcome you. Who's the they? That's the people, the others that you made friends with here on earth with the space that God made, gave you. So that when it's gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. When the prize is right, however, the price is light. I've never had so much fun in my life is I've had reaching people that are lost. I love it. It's fun. It's not hard. I'm not going to steal Brownie's thunder, but he gave a revelation on the harvest the other, um, the other day at dinner party. I thought, that's profound. Next week, he's going to share it for offerings. So I'm, I'm going to resist right now to share Brownie's revelation. So 
Uh, you have to come back next week. But I think about, about Jacob in Genesis 29, 20. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But listen to this. Seven years he's slaving away for Uncle Laban. Seven years. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Everybody go, oh. See, making friends is fun. It's not hard work. Everybody, oh, it's so hard. Well, you probably got the wrong spirit. You got the wrong motivation. You, got, you, you, you don't have your eye on the prize. Because getting in a harvest, getting in God's harvest, getting in and doing the work of God, even the work of, of an evangelist, it's not hard. It's, it's fun. So greater reward also brings greater, uh, greater room rather brings greater reward. So I just want to give you four rewards for making room for others and always having room for more. Number one, we'll look at these. We'll read verse 11. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and as he went up to the upper room to rest, he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. And when she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? He's not talking directly to the woman. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. I noticed that this morning reading it, thinking, tell the woman I want to talk to her. And then he's talking to Gehazi, you tell her. It's like, come on in. Okay, I'm going to tell Gehazi and I speak to the woman. Like, he's not talking to the woman for whatever reason. He says to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you've shown us. And the key word there is appreciation. It is rare when people come back and say thank you. It's very uncommon, actually. It's more common the other way. <laughs> He'll do things for church people, like get them saved, introduce them to their lifelong partners through the uh, church that you worked hard for, and, and, and lots of other things. They'll get blessed. They get jobs. They get finances. They get whatever, whatever. They get their health back. You know, they're facing uh, a terminal disease and all the rest. Sometimes, maybe one in ten, People with leprosy that get healed come back and say thanks. But boy, when they do, isn't it rewarding? Isn't it nice to hear a thank you when you do something, when you cook something? Isn't it nice when somebody comes back and says, you know what? I really appreciate what the room that you built called City Church has done in my life. It's rare, but it's good. We've got a lady here, and I won't mention... Carmel's name, but um, <laughs> she cleans this, this place without fail. And she's, she's um, conscripted uh, some helpers occasionally and got Graham and others that help out. But she says to me, and I'm like, man, Carmel, like, why don't you take a break? Like, you're doing all this. Like, she comes in here, and she won't, she won't stop until it's done. And I mean done really well. So if you think, man, the church looks clean every Sunday, it's because basically of this woman. And uh, the why, she goes, I so much appreciate this house. And she'll say it with tears. And, and I'm thinking, man, like, how can you do this year after year after year? It's because of a heart of appreciation. She was saved here. Her son and her, Michael, her, her son, 
They were in dire straits and, she, and they found a space where there was room for more. Not, not saved, not Christians, came in here, got saved. And she is so thankful for the house of God. How thankful are you that there's a space called church, whether it's this one or some, somewhere else where you go. I've been without family. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be lonely, really lonely. People go, oh, I'm not into religion. Well, what's your definition of religion? Because Jesus defines religion this way, helping orphans and widows. What's an orphan and a widow? It's somebody that's all alone. An orphan doesn't have parents. A widow doesn't have a husband. They're by themselves. God says it's not good that man should be alone. I'm a lone ranger. You're stupid. You're flying in the face of really what God created. There's nothing macho and big about that. That's silly. And God creates family. It says he creates a family to put those that are isolated into. That is pure and undefiled religion. I'm religious. I'm helping people find family. That there's always room for more. We'll make room for more. And when we do, hopefully, whoever that is, will come back and say thank you. At least thank God for it. And fight for it. Because it has to be fought for in this society in particular where people are just isolated. They think it's a cool thing, especially men. Get over yourselves. I think about the lady that came to me a few weeks back and she said, I want to I make lunch for the church. And I'm like, why? She says, I want to say thank you for what this church has done. And then she gives me a special dish that she's made up just to say thank you. And I'm like, why? Because she's thankful for what God, she's thankful that we always have room for more and we had room for her and her husband. And she's so thankful that when we leave here, this auditorium as part of this service, we're going to have lunch that this woman prepared out of thanksgiving. That's Margaret Smith, I might add. Number two, number one is appreciation. These are the rewards of always having room for Number two, verse 13, God sends, God sends great people into our lives and how we treat them. Number two is invitation. Invitation. It's verse 13. Listen to this. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word? This is the prophet. Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. But the invitation went out. This is a reward for you, woman, for building this space, for building this room. I, I, want, I want you to know that you are invited before the king if you need to be. I've got access to the king. You are invited because of what you've done. When you put out a, a, a space for people, then God says, come on up higher. Don't take the lowest. You take the lowest because you're a servant, but I'm going to tell you, come on up higher. A lot of people don't go higher because they don't go lower. They don't serve. Serving is an honor. Serving is the biggest privilege, Christian, that you have. It's not to walk into a space and demand to be served. No, that's the cruise ship. Do you understand? I've been on a cruise before. It's all about me. 
I want it when I want it and how much of it that I want and get over here now. If, 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 if the church was, a, was a, a vessel, if it was a ship, it would not be the cruise ship. That's the wrong attitude. It's not about me. Be a fishing vessel. Get out and fish. If you're too busy, if you're fishing, you're too busy to be complaining, self-seeking. There's always room for more. Always. More people. There's more lost people out there. Have you noticed that? Go walk through the plaza, the shopping mall that's right next door to this church. Walk through there and see how many Christian people you recognize. Chances are nobody. I walked through there and uh, had lunch the other day, and I'm thinking, look at all these people. And how many of them know the Lord? I don't know. But chances are not that many. There has to be room for more, starting in our hearts. You never know who you're talking to, and I said this, God sends great people into our lives. How we treat them determines whether they will stay. I was at a, a conference in Kuala Lumpur, and after the meeting, I think in the intermission, I walked out, and I had this book that I wanted to buy, the author by Sean Bowles. And I'm thinking, i got to get this book. I, don't, I think he mentioned it or something in the sermon, the guest speaker. And so I walked out in the foyer. And I tend to walk up to people at conferences in particular that, that nobody's talking to. So I don't pick the guest speaker and the, you know, the executives and try to you know, make friends with people that are up here, whatever, whatever. I find somebody. And I've, I've met some amazing people at conferences that were just standing by themselves. And so I saw this short man. They're all short in Malaysia. <laughs> and I walk up to this guy thinking, he's an older man, short, all by himself. So I was going to talk to this guy. So I woke up, how you doing? And uh, he looks at me like, uh, oh. And he goes, uh, it's interesting you came up and said hi to me. He said, uh, God had told me to, to give you this, and he hands me the very book that I was going to go out and buy. He goes, God said to give this to you. And I'm like, you're kidding. I was going to buy this book. And I said to this man, very unassuming looking guy, I said, what do you do anyway? And he goes, oh, I own a few Marriott hotels. <laughs> I thought, okay. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. You don't know who you're talking to. You might think you're talking to one person, but chances are you're talking to someone totally different. There's a church, uh, a friend of mine, pastors a church, because they accommodated somebody. This guy has mega millions and uh, has bought, virtually paying for a whole church that they're building. One person. But now what if they'd have treated the guy rude? What if they would have ignored him? What if they didn't give them the time? What if there was not room for more at their church? They'd probably still be meeting somewhere else. But they'll be able to do a lot more because of one person that they, were, that they accommodated for. Now, I don't look at people and go, well, I'll say hi to you because I think I could get something out of you. No, that's a, that's a wrong motive, but you don't know who you're talking to. I could tell you one story after another of people that I've talked to at conferences and other places that were all by themselves 
that I just walked up because there's always room for more and God loves people desperately. Number three, number three, verses 14 to 16. It's impartation. When you make room for more, you build a bigger future for yourself. Verse 14. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Now, I don't know why these old people want to have kids. I don't understand that. Abraham, I'm going to talk to him and Sarah about this. Like, you're about 100 years old. Like, seriously? You're going to go out and throw the ball around the yard? And the kid hits teenage years? Like, why do you want to have children and you're old? Like, I'm not as old as them. And I'm like, I'm not looking for another one. Gail would, but I'm, I'm not into, into that at all. Like, thinking, thinking, scrolling forward, thinking, 80 years old, running around the backyard, playing football. Don't think so. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year, Remember, this guy's a prophet. Next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. A man of God, don't deceive me. Get my hopes up like that. Well, number four, the fourth one, like our worship team to come, thanks, is manifestation. Number four, verse 17. Sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. How good is God? Amen? There is a great reward for making this four that I gave of making room for God. When we make a place of refreshing and revelation, a place for people to sit at the table of God, a place where not, a, not a, a fleeting, superficial, fake, happy, let's be friendly church, but trying to be genuine with people. And taking that, that, that value, we, we always have room for more. And driving that home into people so that our hearts expand to accommodate more people in our world including a space called Sunday worship so that we can have the spirit that's on God, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in each one of us. You can see people as valuable and precious just like somebody saw you and I and reached out to us. That we too can have room in our hearts to let God move through us not to superficially be evangelists and grab a microphone or a megaphone or whatever, whatever, and just be obnoxious to people, tell them to go to hell, but to genuinely care and listen, and to be open, to genuinely make a space where people can get revelation of Jesus Christ and find refreshing if they've had a bad day, find rest, encouragement. I'd like us to bow our heads close our eyes. I want to give you a chance to ask Jesus into your heart. I don't know everyone here, so I don't want to assume that everybody knows Jesus. If you're watching online, uh, also I want to give you a chance wherever you are to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. God did it for me. He'll do it for you. 
If you're open, I want you to say this after me and mean it. Dear God, I repent of my past of doing it my way. Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. I will serve you from this moment forward. Amen and amen.